The available AKG 36 speaker sound system in the Cadillac Escalade provides 360 degree sound, not just here or here, but everywhere. The 2021 Cadillac Escalade never stop arriving. The in-dash OLED display in the Cadillac Escalade has 38 total diagonal inches of color display. So why do we give it a curve too? I guess you could say we like to bend the rules. The 2021 Cadillac Escalade never stop arriving. Thanks for listening to Uncle Sam's Soccer Podcast, keeping you up to date with the latest in American soccer. And don't forget to subscribe. Oh, a good day to everybody. Welcome to Uncle Sam's Soccer Podcast. Stephen Jodderin, Armanka Fai, and we got a fantastic episode for the Super Bowl Sunday. Arman, you spoke with Kyle Martino. Yeah, I spoke with Kyle Martino for a print article. And thank you again. Thank you to him and his PR staff. We were able to use the audio from the interview for you guys, for listeners, for Uncle yes. Sam's Soccer Podcast. Again, I want to clarify that these this discussion was for a print article, so it's not really in the normal podcast tone, talk, all that stuff. I'm sure Kyle would explain more and more and more in detail, especially if it was on a podcast. And I would probably uh, go more and more in detail if I was on a podcast too. And also, we're on time constraints. There's a lot of factors going on, but it's a really good interview with Kyle, and I really enjoyed it. Absolutely. And one more focus of the interview was since you're writing for the Dallas Morning News, it had a North Texas spin. So they do discuss a little bit of the Texas factor, but it does show you and illustrate the importance of our youth and of the associations in each state and how they are going to shift this election around. But let's just get straight to the uh, interview. When it, when it comes to U.S. soccer right now, what what do you see our future as? Well, missing World Cup might feel uh, catastrophic, but it's not. It, it's heartbreaking, and there are major, of course, uh, short-term implications. But if we focus too much on that, we're going to miss the actual problem. And the actual problem is missing a World Cup is a symptom of systemic issues within the Federation where the focus uh, has evolved too much over the years as the Federation has become more financially successful. Um, they've moved towards a top-down approach where the majority of the investment and, and focus is on uh, the 1%, you know, the, the, mm-hmm. the, the top of the pyramid. And um, we, we haven't modernized as a Federation to create a, a organization that serves its members. Uh, that's, that, that is the, the biggest problem we're facing. And uh, if we don't focus on that threat, 
I'm I'm worried that uh, that could metastasize and 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 become something that really kills the soccer culture that we've been building. I, I was I was looking through your progress plan and. Um... One thing that's been, as of news recently, has been the NWSL. You, we, we saw the Boston Breakers uh, sadly yeah. have to see, seize operations. And um, when I was looking through your progress plan, you also mentioned uh, making uh, kind of one of the requirements to joining MLS uh, to also invest in the NWSL. <laughs> Can you expand on that? Yeah, um, it's the same way that Major League Soccer got over the hump basically in the mid 2000s when things were looking mm-hmm. bleak and they were in some rocky waters it was the commitment of nfl owners and a few owners to underwrite losses and get major league soccer over the hump that's, that's the same thing that needs to happen with the nwsl and um plugging into uh, the 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 infrastructure that exists within major league soccer whether it be training and facilities or or revenue can help nwsl get over the hump i mean the teams that are the best operated um, and are the most stable are, are the ones that have that affiliation already. Right. Now, long-term, of course you want independence and, and you want the league to be sustainable on its own. Um, but, but sometimes contraction feels really bad, but it, it is a positive if it improves the quality of ownership. So sometimes you have to have a club fail if there, if there was an ownership that wasn't, was bringing uh, was bringing or, or or dragging and becoming an anchor and um you know the, the thing that you need to make sure you focus on is expanding for the sake of expanding isn't good you need to expand right. behind really solid owners that believe in the women's professional league long term and there are a few that um are in the league already and doing that and and I've spoken to them on the phone and we're lucky we have them one issue with Boston Breakers collapsing or folding is, um, you know, they fund a lot of youth programs. So one focus right now needs to be to make sure that the three youth programs affiliated um, continue to get their funding and those players still have a place to play. And, and I, I'm sure that that resolution will be found, but it's it's something that needs to be focused on right now. Right, right. So I mean, it's, it's kind of kind of like a uh, uh, almost identical to the situation kind of MLS was in when they have to fold uh, Miami and. Uh, yeah. Exactly. With Tampa Bay, right? Yep. So I mean, also going yeah. through your progress plan. Yeah. <laughs> so going through, so going through your progress plan. Um, I've also there's also the everyone's favorite discussion on Twitter to talk about you know promotion and relegation. I saw your system by 2030, and when I was looking through it, you do mention the NASL. The NASL right now is looking very bleak. Its future is looking really bleak. Yeah. Are, are there any yeah. updates or more to the plan than what you have uh, listed in your progress plan right now? Are there more updates for what? Uh, are there any updates uh, more to the plan than what's been uh, or more to the plan that's been presented in your uh, progress plan regarding uh, uh, promotion relegation? Um, well, I, I I believe in opening the system, and I believe that it, it is a future we need to move towards. Um, I, I know fans would like it tomorrow, but I, I know that's not possible for Marriott Reeves. Right. So my plan is really the only specific one I've seen someone for that's feasible. Um, and, and I'm, I'm excited to, once I get to office, investigate ways to, to make that possible and, and create a mechanism that will improve the quality of the product, will grow 
the, the grassroots abilities because every market will have professional teams with upward mobility and it will be a more compelling uh, sports story. And uh, I, I look forward to getting together with all stakeholders to figure out how we can make that happen. Uh, what do you make of the NASL? What's going on uh, between them basically just on its like last limbs? Well, um, there are players that have their dream of playing professional soccer that don't have a club anymore. And that, that we just got done talking about that with the Boston breakers. Um, and mm-hmm. you know, they did a dispersal draft to put those players on other teams with NSL players are kind of floating in the wind and trying to right. find home. So that's not a good thing. We absolutely as a federation should want all of our professional leagues to thrive. Last night we did see, uh, Jonathan Gonzalez make his debut for Mexico after filing that one time switch uh, from the United States to FIFA. What, what's your thoughts been on, on the whole uh, little saga that's been going on from the, uh, uh, federa- uh, from the accountability and the federation? I mean, we heard Thomas Rongen come out and say, hey, look, uh, I visited him three times and later retract that statement after uh, Jonathan Gonzalez's father went to Hercules Gomez and said, hey, look, that didn't happen. And there's, I mean, there's kind of like a little blame game going on. So what do you make of that whole situation? Well, uh, you know, myself, I have my Italian citizenship. Um, I, I know what it's like to have affinity for two countries, and I will never place the blame at a dual national for choosing the luck. And um, mm-hmm. you know, it highlights several issues that we need to we need to be honest about. One is that we don't do as good of a job in certain neighborhoods, uh, certain demographics, and the Latino community is definitely one of them. Uh, we don't do as good of a job in our backyard as Mexico does. Um, right. And, you know, Jonathan Gonzalez, I think, is, is an example of some issues and, and maybe is being used to, to highlight points that he really, uh, that that's not the case with him. It's had a very good conversation about making sure that we, we with our youth, grow the affinity, the belief in the badge. And that's our fault if they don't feel the connection. And one of the reasons that a lot of dual nationals don't feel the connection with our badge is because we don't do a good job of going into their communities and and growing the game and making it more affordable, more accessible, and showing them that they are the members just like everyone else that we care about. And then identification obviously becomes a major problem that we have for every single group. Uh, in this country because we basically look for stars like an astronomer not moving the telescope. <laughs> That's actually a really good analogy. I like that analogy. So would you, would you go and uh, uh, maybe go target, I mean, I'm just going to throw out a group out there, more Latinos? Um, and, Say that again? Yeah, would you go um, and, uh, I don't know if target's the right word, but, uh, you know, try to get that connection a lot with uh, the, with the Latino uh, group? Well, uh, when you say underserved, it means a lot of different groups, and it even means right. rural groups, right? Because the, the Development mm-hmm. Academy only serves half the state. So there, there are many groups that aren't getting the attention that they deserve or the access to this game, and we need to focus on all of them. Grassroots is a very important part of my project. Uh, what I'll do is make sure that our federation is more representative of our, of our country, and we have people that understand cultures and can – uh, help the federation to to create a more inclusive membership and an outreach program towards them. When we talk about Texas, I mean, the first thing that comes to mind when I tell people, "Hey, I'm from the area of North Texas," they say, "So what? What's, what, what about the soccer there?" I I call it a hotbed of youth soccer. There's so much youth soccer around here. 
Yeah. When you think of North Texas in soccer, what do you think of? Well, I think Clint Dempsey for sure. Uh, I think <laughs> of some of the amazing players that have come out of that state. You know, Clint and I played together for the U.S. team, um, and I'm a big fan of his. I just love watching him play, even when I was playing. Um, his story is an incredible one of a kid who had the potential to play for an elite team, and I think it was the Texans that was a few hours away from Nacogdoches. Right. Um, mm-hmm. But actually, as a teenager, was playing co-ed soccer in Nacogdoches and still became one of the best players we've ever seen. So I think what it shows is there's a real depth to the talent pool in, in Texas. Clint told me he played, uh, as I did in Bridgeport, Connecticut, he and Nacogdoches played with the Latino adults. Um, it's a very multicultural and dense population in some of the parts of Texas that have incredible players. And I think Dallas, uh, um, you know, FC Dallas, with all their homegrown players and the amount of kids that are coming to that system are showing what's possible if you make sure that you're out there in the community and you, you grow opportunities for these kids. And when you talk about opportunities, I mean, one of the barriers within youth soccer is pay-to-play, especially yeah. in especially in this area. I've had many uh, people, uh, I've had friends, I've had, uh, they come up to me saying, we played academy, but at, at some point we couldn't afford it. Uh, one yeah. solution that's usually, like, there's one solution that's usually talked about when, it's talk, when you talk to these academies is they want training compensation in order as a yeah. kind of solution for us to try to get a pay-to-play. You talk about a rating system in your progress plan. Can you expand on what that would mean? Or how do you explain yeah, it? Listen, pay-to-play has become a pantomime villain. It exists in every sport. It exists in every country, but ours is the mm-hmm. most expensive. So well, that's the reason it's a problem. Um, and, and the reason it's so expensive is because there's incredible market confusion where there are many players uh, or many organizations in the space, but the space isn't defined. So first you have to define the space, um, as they do in every other country, so you have a true pathway. And then you use incentives to, to make sure that coaches are developing players the right way and are okay passing them up if there is a true pathway. And you do that through training reimbursement. You do it through solidarity payments. And you can do it through grants. And we're not doing that. How, how would you go about uh, with the uh, solidarity, solidarity payments? Would it be from the federation? Would you try to encourage MLS teams to, if they uh, get a player from a non-MLS uh, academy, to well, the rules, give them the rules uh, are already established. The rules are already established by FIFA on how solidarity payments work. So, you know, in, internationally, uh, everyone mm-hmm. uses that mechanism. We'll just we'll right. do the same thing. And you're not concerned about any of the labor laws or anything like that? No, because I've had lawyers look look into it, and they say that these laws did not uh, did not keep. And and listen, every state has has different labor mm-hmm. laws that you have to go through. But but I've yet to come across a law that keeps us from being able to do that. And I think that some of these laws are a red herring. <laughs> no, yeah, it it is a key problem when it comes to uh, when it comes to that when it comes to that pay to play. But you did mention coaching and did mention uh, making sure that coaches develop best players. For coaching, there are costs and barriers also for them, too, when it comes to uh, you have to take time out of your day to go your li- take a lot of time to get your license. You have to probably fly out. Yeah. It costs a lot of money. Yep. How, would you, how would you fix that up? Well, our coaching license is one of the most expensive in the, expensive in the world and offered in the in a fewest places, especially as you get up the pyramid. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Spain, it won't surprise anyone, has the highest level of, of UEFA licensed coaches, and it's the most affordable. 
So we can subsidize that through the budget and through the surplus, but also empower associations to be responsible for their coaching education so that they can reinvest their profits into lowering the cost of that education. Uh, would you offer them in uh, more locations, make them more accessible of sorts? Because, I mean, I, I, I spoke to a coach, and uh, he was telling me that to get coaching license is just basically a pain in the ass. You have to uh, – and it, it, takes, it takes a lot of uh, money and uh, yeah. a commitment. So is there any specifics on how you would uh, make it more accessible? Yeah, two things. Yeah, offer it in more locations for sure, but also use the technology that exists. Uh, where you can get an education from your living room. So there, right, right, there, right. Are, there are many, there, yeah, there are many ways to make sure coaches are educated. And I think we need to make sure we're focusing on local coaches and volunteers because the biggest part of the membership will be exposed to that level of coaching. Uh, and then as you get up the elite pathway, you need to be able to have access to a license or pro license and it not be so exclusive and not be so expensive. All right. Because I mean, most of, most of our, uh, most of the people that are exposed to soccer at early age are what, like U6, U8, and yeah. that's when they get their like, their basic uh, education. Yeah, and listen, you don't have to play the game to be a good coach. So there, there are ways to educate coaches that have never kicked the ball to make sure that they're just facilitating the game and making it enjoyable for kids. No, absolutely. And in this area of, of North Texas, there there is a really big – High school soccer developmental academy issue. I mean, we have a lot. We have uh, quite a few DAs within the area, and I'll, you see a lot of the kids like playing in high school. But it seems like yeah. their best shot to go to to go to college to get exposure is through the DA. How do you yeah. try to work with that dynamic, especially in a place like North Texas, where you have around three to four DAs and a big high yeah. school program? Well, first you grow the membership. Um, there are late bloomers and there are people that aren't ready for a DA that may become great players and you can't pick winners at a young age. Um, and then you understand that high school soccer and college soccer, that's part of the development pathway and you can't make that decision for kids. Some of my greatest soccer memories and I've played, you know, level, uh, some of my greatest soccer memories are still my high school days and, and you can't take it away from kids. If they decide that's where they want to and that's where they should develop. So when it, when it comes to that, would you would you allow those kids in DA to end up uh, playing in high school? Yeah, I mean, there's ways where you can allow them to do both, or you just stop creating mandates that keep them from uh, that force them to make a decision and and let the decision be theirs. And when it when it when it comes to that DA, I mean, I've had many again many people just. They they choose that option because, like you said, it, it does give them more exposure. It does give them a uh, a better opportunity to get in uh, to get noticed by someone in college if they're looking for their education. How do you put importance back in the high school game? Because I mean, it seems like it's well, well, yeah, the importance is there. You know what I'm um, saying? You play in front of your friends. You you play in front of uh, the person you have a crush on. You play against your rivals. <laughs> the importance there. How we make sure that it's important in a development and identification sense is we can use technology for sure to to make it easier to track talented players, but also uh, empower associations to be our, identif- our, our identification network and, and let local coaches be a network that can tell 
um, college coaches or professional coaches where the talent where the talent is. When it comes to, I just want to, I want to talk about Texas as a whole because Texas as a whole is a huge state. Yeah. How do you how do you deal with issues in such a state that's so large? Well, fortunately, that's Cal North or that's um, Texas North and Texas South that can handle that. And that's the that's the great thing. We're 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 a continent. We're a country the size of Europe. And we can't solve all these problems from the Chicago soccer house. So it's up to us to give resources and support to the associations to solve those problems. To, uh, I guess, what, uh, more of a bureaucracy of sorts? Well, it's not, every association looks different. Every association, some are joint, some are not. Yeah, the demographics are different. Density is different. So the challenge uh, obviously runs the spectrum, but the, the the people in Chicago are not the experts on on what the the challenges are in South Texas. So it, right. it, it's about it, it's just about supporting and guiding and not mandating things without their involvement. So it, so basically, what you're saying, sorry, uh, is you just want to you want. You want you want to sit, you want to give more power to state associations, give them more more of a voice instead of and letting them deal with it, right? Well, I think every problem in our soccer country is solved by empowering and integrating the associations. Gotcha. All right. Well, that that was all I wanted to know. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, thanks so much, man. Yeah. I want to thank Kyle Martino, first off, for joining me with that phone call discussion. It was a really great discussion over the issues in USSF and also in North Texas. I was doing this for a North Texas-based paper, so that's why you had kind of the high school DA, the Texan-based questions. I want to thank him again and his PR team for being really easy to communicate with and uh, granting me this interview. So, yeah, I mean, it was a really interesting interview to talk about all these different dynamics. Well, we are just a couple days out, in fact, for the U.S. Uh, soccer a week election. I mean, uh, of the recording, it's a week out, but February 10th in Orlando, right? Well, I wonder if we're going to get any surprises this final week. What are the candidates doing? Did it, because we're so close to the election, Armand, what, was the, what type of mood did you get from there, from the camp and just discussing with Martino? Well, I mean, I didn't get really a necessary, necessary like a mood, but I would expect all camps to be relatively nervous. I don't, you can't really be confident in elections anymore because, I mean, we saw what happened in the 2016 presidential election when uh, Donald Trump was elected president. No one was expecting that because of certain dynamics. Now, think of that and multiply it by a thousand because we have no idea who's voting in this election. Well, I mean, we do, but at the wow. same time, we don't. I've I've made a couple of calls and there's been a lot of shuffling around the cards as far as it comes to um, voting. Very interesting. The politics be t behind this U.S. soccer presidential election is absolutely fascinating. If an another American sports league had this process. 
this would be talked about at 6 p.m., 10 p.m., 11 p.m. on ESPN, Fox Sports, nonstop. This would be the biggest story. Associations had voting powers within the NFL, MLB, you name the major sports of America. If this was that type of process, this would be front page news. But because oh, 100%. There's so much juicy drama. It's just like, what's going on 90% of the time? We know that. But yeah, because it is soccer, we're not... It's not getting the proper press. And imagine if it was covered like that. We'd probably get a lot more news and uh, details. Yeah, and we are, you know, a couple days away. I would recommend listening to our interview with Steve Gans and Michael Winograd before. And if we have any other, you know, the mic is still open. The line is still open for any other presidential candidate who wants to come on before the election and speak with us. We are happy to do so. But, yeah, I mean, Kyle Martino's got some interesting uh, dynamics. His promotion relegation plan is probably one of his leading campaign uh, missions. You know, this is something that's not going to happen overnight. But, you know, he has a long-term goal for it. Yeah, 2030 plan. And to break it down, it's going to need some revising. I kept asking him, you know, is there any updates? Because the NASL isn't looking uh, so strong at the moment Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. he said he would love to talk to the stakeholders i'm assuming there would be an update to that to 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 that piece of paper because if the nasl ceases to exist for a little bit and has zero teams how you're gonna put them in 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 the pyramid it's gonna be tough but overall the ideas of kyle martino if you actually look into it one of his big ideas uh is to give the state associations more power, which I think, if you realize that it, this whole election isn't just about what's what's good for the men's national team, even though that's a really key aspect, it's also what's good for the adult associations, what's good for the youth, what's good for the DAs. It's not just MLS and US's national team. What's good for the women? What's good for the NWSL? There's so many different entities involved that I think a lot of people are just kind of overlooking those things, Steve. No, absolutely. And what do you make of his comments regarding uh, the NWSL and MLS kind of working together? That was really interesting because he does bring a valid point, and it's true. It They do – the MLS and NWSL almost parallel each other in mm-hmm. terms of the way they're growing because – if you remember, MLS had to contract Miami and Tampa Bay. It was actually going to be at one point. I think they decided between Miami, Tampa Bay, and Dallas and Kansas City. But they contracted them, and that basically kept the league going. For the NWSL, contracting a team like the Breakers is terrible. And if you want to talk about it, there was a, another team moved uh, from Kansas City to Utah. So. Mm-hmm. I think the shift to MLS ownerships is really important. I think I think he does make a very valid point when it comes to that. Because plain and simple, these teams, these owners are stable. They know what they're gonna you know what you know what you're gonna get with these guys. It's not like you're gonna, you're going to a new ownership. Now, like you said, later on, yes, we'd love you'd love to have new ownership come in. But right now the NWSL needs to be stable. It's in a very very, very similar situations to what MLS was in, in 2001 or around or whenever time was when the contraction happened. So 
I do agree with what he says when it comes to that. I I agree. I think influencing MLS to invest in NWSL, NWSL will make the NWSL much better. I feel like Kyle Martino makes a good comparison in the sense that, yes, we saw MLS have to contract teams in order to grow, and that kind of kept you know the league afloat. And obviously look at the league today. You know We're at, what, 24 teams? Miami just got introduced not too long ago was this past week in fact so we're seeing a weird shift but the nwsl needs owners that are there and willing to commit like you saw with mls and to some degree i think it's a really valid point and i think that that will strengthen the game and remember that's something that we're i think the nwsl and those uh uh committees are looking for as well in terms of Okay, the every candidate wants equality. What are you going to do to help the league out? I think Cal Martino brings a very valid point to the table. I'm just happy he didn't say the like. We're all for the equal pay, but I'm happy that we can like turn the page from that and actually go into the women's game and talk about the issues because equality, equality, equality. What what happens once we do? pay them equally we're just going to forget about the women's game and just leave it be or are we actually going to help grow the the league help grow the national team help grow the youth associations you know the da's that all that stuff when it comes to the women's aspect are we just going to sugarcoat it with the equal pay and not really go into the mess that that is so I, i'm glad no that, i agree but I you agree. didn't ask the question so it could have been you know it could have phrased phrased a little bit differently but I'm just happy that you know we're having a, a, a real discussion of the women's game rather than just paint it with a broad brush of equality and especially in speci- specifically with pay and then just move on. Yeah, I asked them it that way because I think everyone's stance is that women deserve equal pay. Absolutely. So I think – and I think we all agree that they do. I think it's time to look more in depth into what we can help with the women's game. But – I wanted to ask you uh, something, Stephen. What do you make of this whole DA high school thing? Because I brought it up with, in, in the interview. And Martino says there is importance within high, the high school game in terms of playing in front of your family, your friends, uh, your crush he even mentioned. Yeah. <laughs> but in terms of, hey, I want to go play professionally, is high school that important? It is. It is. We've seen a lot of players make it from high school. Mm-hmm. To the pro, I mean, we've seen Keaton Parks do it in terms of going from high school to the pros, mm-hmm. but it's kind of hard to replicate that if if you know what I'm saying. No, I mean, the story of Keaton Parks is is very remarkable because he literally climbed a ladder. But the issue is not necessarily playing high school because high school is high school. It's if you're at a good school, you're gonna get a lot of playing time. The problem is it's the coaching. When it comes to high school ball and in soccer from 14 to 18, that is the most crucial aspect of coaching. And some of these high school coaches absolutely reek. They have no idea what they're doing. And most of them are stuck because the play, there are players who are just having fun and then there are players who want to go further. You're stuck in a situation of a sport that's trying to reach out to, you know, poorer communities, allowing them to grow up. 
But the DA is if you don't play DA, you're not getting called up to any national team. You're not getting noticed. You're not getting noticed. And that's the biggest issue is if you're asking me, players are falling through the crack that way. And then uh, they go through college and then they're, you know what, Uh, you know, it's not for me. Or they give up because they just like they, they don't have a chance. And that's the issue is when you have players or when the DA seems to be feeding the national teams and we don't seem to be going to college or we don't seem to be going and trying to pick out some high schoolers and, you know what, let's see what they can do. Who knows? Who knows? Lionel Messi was a scrawny kid and he turns into a goat. You just don't know with some of these players. Because when you mention that we don't give high schoolers a chance, I do agree we both know Stian Sambacog. We both know that he scored, what, like 35 goals, had like 20 assists. He was, he was a very remarkable, and for those who don't know, he went to high school with both of us. He was a very remarkable forward. By the time college came around, he was going to college at Valparaiso, mm-hmm. uh, a college in Indiana. After that, I mean, that shows, I mean, a guy that's getting, what, 35, 40 goals in one of the toughest areas in the nation can't get, like, a, 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 I guess a good D1 scholarship? Something is wrong there, I have to say. The focus isn't on the high school game. The focus is on the DA. No, Plain it, and simple. It, it really is. And if if there are players who are just on the cusp, of being DA quality and not being DA quality, or they choose and can't afford it and can't afford it that too. And then some of them just choose high school because you want to play with your friends. You want to be in front of your crush. It comes back to no, coaching you... though. Playing, mm-hmm. you know, playing high school soccer or, you know, college football. It's, you know, it's a big deal for a lot of these players it it's you know it, it's your community it's your neighborhood you're playing in front of your friends once you go to college depending on where you go that feeling goes away and soccer again is as much of the fans and the culture as it is what's going on on the pitch which is it's it's a remarkable mm-hmm. remarkable aspect of this sport it really is anyway armand we got a couple of days until the election. So, listeners, be on the lookout. Maybe we'll have another candidate on here or there. But we'll for sure have a preview show um, a couple of days before uh, Steve and I have been talking about it. We're going to have a little preview show before the election, talk about each candidate, the respective views, and we're also going to give our our predictions. Not that it counts or anything, but, you know, hey, we want our opinions to be heard. Yes, we're going to make some phone calls around U.S. soccer. We got connections. We're going to give you the inside scoop that you're not going to find anywhere else. So be on the lookout for that. Follow us on Twitter at OnkSamSoccerPod. Our Micah Fye, Stephen Jodder, and assistant producer Jake Watrova. Thanks to everybody. And then uh, be on the lookout for the preview show. The available AKG 36 speaker sound system in the Cadillac Escalade provides 360 degree sound, not just here or here, but everywhere. The 2021 Cadillac Escalade never stop arriving. 
The N-OLED display in the Cadillac Escalade has 38 total diagonal inches of color display. So why do we give it a curve too? I guess you could say we like to bend the rules. The 2021 Cadillac Escalade. Never stop arriving.